0: And again, take your Bibles, God's Word, and let's let's hear what He has to say from John chapter 18. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Follow along. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went forth with His disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the cohort and officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, Went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me. Shall I not drink it? The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Father, thank you for giving us your word and now for your spirit who guides us into truth, all truth. May we be refreshed by your spirit, bringing your word to our minds to renew us, that we might leave this place with a, with a more sure step and a more firm conviction, and with a greater love for you and your son and for the spirit, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You see in your bulletin insert there, the sermon, title, Jesus, the Road to Calvary. The Road to Calvary reveals a good deal. Even in this passage, the, 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 the revelation is clear that Christ is in control. He's in control of everything. Even in this situation, in the midst of darkness, he is in control. We've uh, we have the we have the context. It's interesting. John, as as you know, does not always follow chronology. That is, he doesn't move along with a calendar during the life of Jesus. He he in often in in many cases he picks and chooses the various events of Jesus's life. And he weaves them together because he's, he's largely concerned about a theology here. He's wanting us to have many, 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 many good reasons to believe that Jesus Christ is the one whom the Father sent. He is, in fact, very God of very God. And that if we believe him and believe in him, we shall have life everlasting. Remember, that's the hope purpose of John's writing that we might believe so he gives us he just piles on the evidence for our reasons to believe now in this case he goes chronological and so he gives us a little a little red flag here when Jesus had spoken these words he went forth with his disciples over the ravine Matthew tells us he went over the ravine into the mount of olives there's a garden there Gethsemane. So now he's moving us to Calvary with a bit of chronology, just step by step. But he doesn't tell us all the events. Now if you have read the parallel passages, this is one of, this is is case, for instance, Malchus in this. John's the only one who tells us what the servant's name is. All four of the gospel writers, the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as John, all give us the Malchus story, but they all tell us something a little different. And, of course, again, Luke, for instance, tells us that Jesus healed Malchus's ear. Well, that's a physician for you. He would have thought that was important. John, the theologian, doesn't really think that's important. He has something more important in mind. And that is Christ is going to the cross to absorb the wrath for his people. That's what John thinks is important. And we'll see this as we work on through. But this afternoon if you if you'll take the time and I would encourage you to go and read the Matthew, Mark and Luke Parallel passages of this. Well, as I read this, you also saw why I read Exodus chapter 3. Jesus told them, I am. Now, we've already seen this. As I began the high priestly prayer, chapter 17, I walked us back in that big overview of chapter 17. said, look, we're going to see a number of things in this chapter. Jesus is just praying God's word he's just praying what he has said before good example for us to pray the word of God but one of the things I pointed out in that sermon was the I am sayings I am the door I am the good shepherd I am the bread of life I am the resurrection and now Jesus just simply says I am And anyone reading this, yeah, yesterday I was in line somewhere with Ian, and I don't know if Ian heard this or not, and we were in the midst of a conversation, but someone right behind me was rude, and they had their phone going, and and they were playing something, and it was uh, it was a Jehovah's Witness woman talking. I don't know if it was... Someone he was talking to, or if it was a recording of a teaching session, or what? But she was talking about this Jesus, uh, whom Jehovah sent down uh, to uh, to bid his, his 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 will. Well, if God sent him down, that would either mean he was God or an angel and he was not an angel wings did he not have but the power and the name of God he did possess I am and did you notice what happened they just go (whistles) flat on the ground when Moses was about to approach the burning bush what did God warn him Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Well, this is the New Testament equivalent right here. They were on holy ground and they were out. Well, let's do this a little more orderly than just a a little meandering through it because there's just so much here I'll have to stay on point. The first thing is I want us to see very simply... The son of perdition's betrayal—that's verses one through three. So Jesus has finished his prayer in Jerusalem, which was a public event; people were listening. Now he moves over. Matthew tells us that he moves over to the Mount of Olives and he's praying. This—that—that's the occasion you'll remember when he's—he takes leave of the disciples now and he's praying. And this is when his his sweat was like drops of blood and he would come back and the disciples would be asleep. Can't you stay awake? No. Oh, okay, we'll do better, Lord. Okay, he goes, he prays. He can't, can't you stay awake? Okay, we'll do better, Lord. Goes, comes back. Well, John doesn't tell us all that because that's not important to John. The high priestly prayer was obviously very important to John. He details it greatly. But now he comes and he wants to get right to the point. The point is Christ is going to the cross to die for his people and to submit himself to the outpouring of the wrath of God. That's what John wants to talk about, so he just goes straight to it. So he says the son of perdition who sold him out we've looked at John we've looked at Judas before he comes And by the way he knew the place he knew where Jesus was going to be This was the common place for them to meet There's no doubt where Jesus would take the disciples when they were in Jerusalem they'd go over there for him to explain things to them This was his this was his classroom but it was also a place to rest. It was that place Mark tells us that he would often go to the mountain to pray. Well, this is it. Judas had been there on many occasions. So he knew where to take the arresting officers. So he goes and he took a Roman cohort and officers. Now if you're reading the authorized version uh, or the uh, ESV, I'm actually reading the New American Standard today. It says something like uh, a band of soldiers, uh, but that's not really accurate. Um, It says a cohort. And a cohort was a Roman group of soldiers. And we don't have precise numbers on this it ranges from 600 to 1000 soldiers let's just go with the lower end because the romans really were kind of put out with the jews but they're also concerned for their safety and we've got the passover coming there there, there there's million people here in this in this Jerusalem or more and Jesus is already a divisive figure he's already causing problems because he turned the world upside down so Judas says hey look we're going to we're going out to the garden to do this and things could get a little uh, you know i know peter pretty well he he could he could pitch fit and if he incites a riot around this situation we could use some help the temple police that's that's mentioned right there the officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees uh, generally known in your commentaries as the temple police uh, they won't be able to handle this if it gets out of hand so the romans said okay we'll send we'll send a We'll send a cohort. That'll be enough to to keep things under control. Just having them there will be a deterrent. Surely nobody will raise a sword if there's 600 soldiers standing there. Well, they didn't know Peter very well. So this is the setting. Now, Matthew tells us that Jesus has come back from one of his praying points, and that's when they come in. John wants us to know, he wants us to know something else, and that's where he moves to in verse 4. But notice something, don't miss this. They came, that is, the cohort came, the officers from the, the temple came, and they came with their lanterns and torches and weapons. Now you think about that. First of all, think about they came in darkness. One of the gospel writers says, hey, I've been out in public in broad daylight and you haven't approached me. Why now? Well, why now is because evil and darkness are bosom buddies. I mean, in fact, evil is spoken of in terms of darkness. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus is coming to confront evil, and evil's coming to confront holiness, and it'd be in darkness. That's the perfect, perfect time for it. It's the it's the natural time for it, but it's also the theological time for it. John's making a point here. This is wickedness taking place. But notice something else. The Prince of Peace, the God of all creation. This is, this is someone who has is, who is, who is cleared the temple with his physical strength. This is someone who has, has touched and healed. He has raised the dead. And they come they come to him with their weapons. I don't know about you, but I just find that just almost laughable. The God of all glory, the king of creation, and you're gonna bring swords. You better bring nuclear weapons. But the best they could do was swords. And they thought that would, that would be a sufficient weaponry. Well, that's what John wants us to pay attention to. So Jesus. Therefore, Jesus, verse 4. Knowing all the things. John wants us to keep this in mind. He wants us to never forget this. This is not an ordinary man. They came looking for an ordinary man, Jesus the Nazarene, right? That's the historical label. Not the Son of Man, not the Son of God. That's not who they're looking for. They're looking for the man from, from Nazareth, the Nazarene. And John wants us to know yeah, yeah, he's the man from Nazarene, but he knows everything. He is the all knowing I am. So Jesus, knowing all things, he goes out. He takes the initiative. Why did Jesus come back to the disciples at that specific moment? Why did he leave his prayer to come back and address the disciples who were sleeping again at that moment? Well, John tells us why. Because he knew all things. So he knew that they were all coming right now. That's why he came out. And it's just like God, isn't it, to take the initiative? Unless God takes the initiative, you you don't have a chance. I don't have any hope. Unless God initiates salvation, no one will be saved. Dead people can't initiate anything. So Jesus... Showing his godness, and John, wanting to be sure we recognize it, says, He came out, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them. So before they even get there, before they address anyone, where's Jesus? Jesus comes and says, Who are you looking for? He is, he's taking control. He's, And of course, he's taking control. Again, he's God. So, he knows everything. He's taking the initiative, showing that he's sovereign. And he says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he gives them the first I am. I am. And then John throws this in. He's already mentioned up here that Judas was there but he mentions it again. Don't you know Judas you left me. Remember earlier during the Lord's Supper during John 14 through 16 all the great teaching on the Holy Spirit the doctrine of union with Christ, the vine and the branch in chapter fifteen, and the 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 necessity and the essential the essential nature of the Holy Spirit being at work in us to keep us connected to Christ. And Jesus told, had already told John, already told Judas rather, go do whatever you're going to do. He knew what was coming. Now Judas shows back up. And the first thing Judas experiences when he comes back in is, I am. And all John thought was necessary to say was, and Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Now this is This, this is important. Because first, he's faced with God again, but notice what happens. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. John didn't want any one of us thinking that it was the soldiers that fell to the ground and Judas was standing. He wanted us to realize that Judas was right there with all the evil ones. He was, you know, some of you may have come from charismatic Pentecostal backgrounds where they talk about slain in the spirit. Well, you can't find that in the Bible, but if there's anything close to it, this is it, but it's slain by the Jesus. Um, Just couldn't pass that one up. But they, including Judas, Judas is no exception. He's part of the crowd. He's part of the evil uh, band. He's part, of, he's part of what's bad that's going on. And they all fall to the ground. Now, I need to address this. Some of you are saying, well, gee, in my authorized version, in my ESV, in my NIV, and whatever you're reading there, it says, He said to them, I am He. But you didn't say that. You read, I am. That's because all English translations render it, I am he, thinking it'll smooth the reading out for our English tongues. But that's not in the original. Here's what the original says Ego, I me. You say, okay, big deal. It's emphatic, it's clear, there's no he. It's literally this, ego, I. And then the, the being verb, I am. So this is not just an insipid, little, timid, uh, I'm he. This is, <clears throat> I am who I am. And I don't ever try to imitate God's voice because I ain't got a clue but I know it shook the earth, <clears throat> and I, I suspect it did the Mount of Olives. And they go crashing to the ground. I am He. See, if somebody says, <clears throat> and they come out, they ask at the doctor's office, Nick, Nick Wilborn, and I say, I'm He. Or that is I. Well, This is not what's going on here. Jesus is not simply identifying himself. He's declaring himself to be God. And the effect. See, when I say it, nobody falls down in the waiting room. But when Jesus says it, it shook the earth. Now here's the sobering question for us the 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 question that makes us feel like we're about this big and that well maybe we're not as holy as we think we are or as righteous as we think we are or as good a christian as we think we are when we read passages like this and we hear jesus christ say i am Does it affect us? Or has it become so common, we've said we know Jesus is God so much that it just doesn't affect us very much. It doesn't cause us to stop and think, what does that mean that Jesus is God? What does it mean that Jesus the Nazarene born of a virgin is also very god of very god as the as the old creed says well that's all the convicting we can take for one morning but it 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 it'd be good for us to think about that shouldn't wouldn't it and shouldn't we think about that when we talk about our lord jesus is it just can we just do that glibly and with flippancy, almost. And we're reminded of James's words. And maybe James had, had, had this in mind when he said, even the demons believe and they shudder. They tremble. Well, they're not... The demons aren't part of the cohort here. They're not part of the temple police. But it had the same effect on them, and they didn't believe. The demons believe, and it has that effect. James's point is, if we say we believe, it should have a life-changing difference. And so the question is, does it? There's one more little thing I want you to see here. Jesus said, I am. They drew back. They fell. And then again he said, and he takes the initiative. He doesn't just let them stay there. Whom do you seek? Come on, you got your swords? Talk to me. And they say with Jesus the Nazarene, he said, I told you I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way. You see the compassion of Christ there? In the midst of this authoritative initiative, this sovereign initiative, This declaration of who he is, I am. And he's concerned about his disciples. And well, he should have been because they've been sleeping all around him. It's the warning Paul gives at the end of chapter 13 of Romans let's not sleep, it's daytime. Another good warning to us. Is, is that the way we are? Are we just kind of sleeping through this thing called the Christian life? Well, and he said this, let these go to fulfill the word which he spoke. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you go back and you look in chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer where Jesus said... He kept them all except the son of of perdition so that this would be fulfilled. You will will find very little marginal help as to where that said. You usually think you're going to find it in the Old Testament someplace, right? It's a prophecy being fulfilled. In this case, however, uh, it's Jesus' own words that are being fulfilled. F.F. Bruce, who is one of the older 20th century commentators, very accessible commentator on a number of books, particularly John, he wrote this. John employs the same form of words to introduce the sayings of Jesus as he employs elsewhere to introduce the testimonies from the prophetic scriptures of old. Now, if you didn't keep up with that, if you're like the disciples and you're a little sleepy... Here's what Bruce was saying. The words of Jesus have just been equated with the words of God. And why wouldn't they be? After all, Jesus had said through the whole book, hasn't he? I have come and I only say what he tells me to say. I only say what he has sent me to say. I only do what he sent me to do. So why wouldn't we equate his words with the word of God? And there's actually liberal scholars that look at a passage like this and say nowhere in the Bible does it say that this was written so that the word would be fulfilled. You can't find it in the Bible. Yeah, you can. Jesus said it. That's in the Bible. And that's the whole point. It's another point John's making is that he's God and he has spoken. Well we've got the Malchus thing going here now. Simon then having a sword drew it and struck the high priest slave and cut off his right ear and the slave's name was Malchus. John's the only one that tells us his name. It's probably because there's a bit of irony in this. The word The origin of the word is king. And he ain't. He's not the king. He can't even defend himself. Jesus can say his own name and everybody falls down. Malchus, the slave king, came to defend himself from from a fisherman who doesn't know how to use a sword. ever thought about that either either Peter was really really good with that sword just to get the ear off and I don't care what kind of sword you're talking about a nice long one or a claymore if you're into Scottish military you know a nice small one my 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 take on this is Peter was just whacking away and he that was that's what he hit if it had been a rod and reel, he'd have done a better job, probably, been more precise. Get it? He was a fisherman. Some of you were too sleepy this morning. But the point is, Jesus' response. That's what that's what John wants you to get. And see, Peter here is no different than the the the, the temple police. Or Judas, You say, what? He's trying to defend Jesus. Jesus doesn't need defending. He just saw him say his name and they fell down. Jesus is God. He ends up doing the very same thing here that the temple police are doing. They're deterring Christ. They're trying to get in the way of Christ. In fact, he's not even as good as the temple police. They're at least going to be taking Jesus down the process that would lead him to the cross. And Peter's trying to interfere with the process of the road to Calvary. That's what Jesus says. So Jesus said, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Don't interfere, Peter. Didn't I tell you? Hasn't he told them? I'm going to Jerusalem. I'll suffer. I'll die. On the third day, I'll be raised again. And Peter still not getting Jesus, knowing all things, knew this was exactly the way it was ordained to be. Everybody was in Jesus' way. But he's in control. And so the next thing we read in verse 12 next week is, so the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews, now everybody's involved. This thing about him saying his name and everybody falling down has got everybody's attention. They arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Ananias. That's the next thing we read. Jesus controlled the situation. He directed the whole event from the start to the finish. And Peter was rebuked. Peter still didn't understand. He had to go to the cross. He had to he had to propitiate the sins of his people. He had to suffer and bleed and die. He had to stand under the wrath of the Father. Because if he didn't, we would. And that's where Jesus leaves it, with the disciples and with us. How often, and John no doubt wanted us to meditate on this. He wanted us to think about this. How often do we we think about the son drinking those dregs, drinking the cup of wrath that the father poured out upon him? That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in his humanity, all appearance was that God was nowhere in this universe. He was suffering the weight of sin, but it was the weight of God's wrath upon sin. Remarkable. How often do we think about that? The sky went dark. Why? Because the wrath of God was being poured out. And then when it was over, Jesus said, It's finished. And he surrendered his spirit. He didn't die. Yeah, he was dead. But he didn't die. He gave himself up for sinners. That's what he did for us. And that's what the cup which the Father has given me. So, you know, don't ever... Don't ever stand in the way. Don't ever stand in the way of the gospel. Our friends need the whole gospel. They don't need some watered down, nice little how-to gospel. They need the gory gospel of the wrath of God being poured out upon the Savior so that we don't have to stand on that judgment day and fear God. Instead, we can stand... And look forward to him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word. We ask now that you bless us with it. For your purposes, in Jesus' name, amen.